I'm your friend Joseph Craven. I'm joined by our resident chief scout, Alex Level, and this is You'll Never Talk Alone's State of the League. Episode, episode two. Episode two. <laughs> yeah, welcome to we another tried to say episode. At the same time. We tried to, and it just we didn't plan it out beforehand, which I know comes as a shock to anyone that listens to this podcast that we would ever jump into something without having properly planned it out beforehand. I know that is just unreal, like unexpected. No one understands that. Or no one, you know. I don't even believe it. Yeah, it's just, it's 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 unbelievable. But this is our second attempt at something we're doing called State of the League. It's a little bit more of a look, less at Liverpool, because obviously we talk about Liverpool on a weekly basis. This is more so a look at where the Premier League um, is shaping up this point in the season. And of course, we do this during the international breaks because it's a great time um, to really look closely at the rest of the league. Um, we'll look at you know individual opponents. We'll talk about some of the big storylines, but this is our chance to really soak in the big storylines of the uh, entire EPL right now. And my goodness, there is no better time to try to do a state of the league episode than on the heels of one of the strangest News cycles we've seen, 24 hours really, of news cycles we've seen in a while where Tottenham has decided to release Pochettino and slap on the the headline-grabbing Band-Aid known as Jose Mourinho. <laughs> oh. oh, my goodness. And, I mean, I'm, I'm so – I've been looking forward to – you know, we kind of were a little bit late um, – we were hoping to maybe uh, record this episode earlier in the week. Um, scheduling conflicts delayed things a bit. And now we know that it actually was some sort of act of God that delayed it so that we yeah. can talk about this topic. And I'm prepared. I've got charcuterie meats and and little crackers and stuff. I, I've got a, a fine, tall beer in hand because there's no way I'm talking about Jose Mourinho without drinking in the process. <laughs> I don't think it's possible to do so. No, I'm ready to dive into this. Alex, first and foremost, what the F? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's, I mean, it's what, it was Tuesday afternoon that like news breaks about Potch and it's like Tuesday evening that all of a sudden this rumor meticulates of, meticulates? That's not it. (laughs) Matriculates down the line. Yeah, this rumor lactates in um, of Mourinho being the replacement. What the f? What in the world just happened? It, uh, I mean, it just sums up modern the sport right now so well that even someone that everyone loves, um, the fans, the players for the most part, even the ones that <laughs> maybe had some issues with their contract this season. Mm-hmm. Um, that while they may not be playing to their best, they surely still like him. Um, and I mean, it, it, despite all of that, despite him being wildly popular, despite not that many calls for his head when the team isn't doing that well, they hadn't won an away game since January, but they did yeah. reach a Champions League final, which is mm-hmm. I mean, that's the peak of Tottenham ever. They still yeah. sack him. And it just feels like that is obligatory in this day and age. Like him lasting as long as he has without winning anything. When you think about it on, on the larger scale of where they want to be, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I, he has been really good. He's turned them into a consistent, consistently winning team. uh, And it's not really reflecting this season, but you can't lay that blame all on him. There's so much going on behind the scenes He's even said it in press conferences, which is surprising that he hadn't done that really lately, taking shots at the board and taking shots at the owner and said all this stuff about he needs players and all that. He hasn't done that recently. He's just kind of put his head down and tried to make the best of it. Uh, And he still paid the price for it. So I I feel bad for him. I'm very happy that he is not at Spurs anymore. But 
it's just surprising, but it also kind of makes sense when you look at their situation and okay. mostly just their place in the table. See, and that's what I was going to ask you about. Obviously, the place in the table is the biggest headline when it comes to Spurs so far this year. I mean, there's a lot of surprises in this table, and we've talked a good amount about that. Like last week, we talked about how surprising it is to see Leicester in second and City in fourth, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Sheffield in fifth. I love that. But the, you know, the fact that Tottenham is all the way down in 14th place right now is shocking. But I just wonder in like the grander scheme of things, if maybe this is still to some extent a little bit of the ramifications of how poorly the team was handled after the Gareth Bale sell in 2013, where they got all of these resources in and did not spend them very well. You know, got a bunch of replacement uh, players that just did not at all fill the gaps that were needed to fill. They fell off in terms of performance for a little bit. And I just wonder if maybe there's still a little bit of remnants of that hanging around. I mean, this looks like a completely different team now than it did then even. But if, if, if there's a little bit of that hanging around that they're still trying to repair and maybe Potts just couldn't quite finish the last little repair and that's that's kind of where the where the frustrations came from i don't know i just wonder like maybe this is slightly lingering from six years ago well i think that is what ultimately held him back from actually winning anything is that you're right there there were still holes in the squad from that that prevented them from being a winning team prevented them from getting over the hump from getting preventing them from getting to where we got to Right. Last year in the Champions League. Uh, and that, but to that point, to that end, he made the team so successful that the results that are going on right now became unacceptable. But it's only because he was there that there was any like, ideas of not being an average team. Uh, right. He created an atmosphere of we have really good players. He made Harry Kane a thing. He made yeah. Deli Alley a thing. He made Christian Eriksen a thing. I mean, these are players that had been talked about um, the latter two more than Kane. Kane was still kind of a surprise to everyone, but he brought the promise out from these players. And they were the ones who, after the final, most of the key players said, I don't want to be here anymore. Right. <laughs> and nobody nobody bought them. No, they did not sell them. They wanted too much money for them. They wouldn't take they – they wanted the deal on their terms, not on the players or the buying team's terms. They didn't take what they can get. So they didn't end up rebuilding, and and now they're stuck with this large group of players whose contracts are almost up, and some who just don't really want to be there. Right. And it's not he's stuck trying to manage that, and when it, it, it's not up to him entirely, he has to work with his internal board and his owner to say, well, if this is the case, this this just can't be. We've reached a peak right now but we don't want this to be the ultimate peak and something has to be done or else it's not going to go well and i I think something that you said that wasn't even necessarily like part of your point but really stood out to me is how you said they had you know they were an average team and he was pushing them beyond being an average team um part of like modern sports culture in a number of sports is the whole, like, what have you done for me lately mentality, right? Like it doesn't matter what a coach might've done before, but like what's going on right now or like wanting the instant success, not wanting to go through the process of rebuilding anything like that. I think the reality is that, I mean, for the most part, Tottenham is kind of still an average team. And, uh, he was trying to make that push to get them to the next level, but they were, they were expecting to be this next level already, you know, back up to um, from a team that was, uh, I don't know, before that, that big run in the early 2010s, um, a team that was not necessarily uh, one of the more respected, you know, top clubs, but climbed into that dropped down to, Mm -hmm bad to back up to average and now you know at a point in which they're still trying to uh, I guess kind of convince themselves or convince the world that they should be talked about in the same ranks as a Liverpool a Man City uh, even a Man United you know or or dare I say it even in the 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 ranks of uh 
of Arsenal, <laughs> which I'm sure Ooh. they they would hate that comparison. Um, <laughs> but you know, from the historical perspective, what Arsenal was able to do, um, basically before Winger retired. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's just very interesting. Uh, we'll jump back to obviously the Mourinho topic in a second, but I do want to ask you this real quick because. Speaking of kind of their expectations, something you said before we hit record in our little pre, pre-production meeting, it's very interesting seeing the expectation levels of the teams sitted from like second place all the way down to like ninth place. You have some teams that are like realistic in expectations, really enjoy the fact that they're kind of flying higher than maybe they should be. You have some teams that are really mad that they're like only in sixth place or only in seventh place, you know? Yeah. I mean, real quick, what's your what's your take on on some of the, the expectations? Do you think some teams are just completely misguided in the way they're trying to run things right now? It's, it's interesting because I, I think, I mean, particularly teams like Arsenal and Men United aren't really accepting of where they are in their club life at this point. Like, uh, both teams need massive rebuilds, haven't handled them the best as possible. And the fans haven't really set it up in a way to where progress can be nurtured. And I know we're biased, but when Klopp came in, we knew results weren't going to instantly become amazing and better. And while things were frustrating, and while I know we on this podcast did say we had some problems with how some things were going, we still were never like, this is not going to work. This manager's not going to work. This is terrible. We suck. It took us a little while like, to see – to see his process, you know, it took us right. a little while before we were able to go, okay, like we have to remind ourselves when he does something frustrating, it's because he sees something that we don't and we have to be okay with that. Right. And, and so I think that those two clubs kind of need to the, more of the fan bases, but sometimes it, the club internal hierarchies need to look at themselves and be a little more honest with themselves about where they are in their own situations. I, I mean, Arsenal is still, Arsenal and Tottenham are kind of in similar positions in the sense that they both spent a lot of money on stadiums and it did affect their transfer business and their ability to get managers in. Uh, Cause I mean, they brought Pochettino in for fairly cheap when yeah. he first came in because he was just coming from Southampton, but, and, and now they're paying the price for that still. And it's lasted season over season and you see the compounding effect of that. But yeah, it's really interesting to see some of these teams who are on the same points and how they're viewing that is like they're it's just completely on opposite ends of the spectrum. So United Wolves and Bournemouth are all on the same points. United probably immensely disappointed, probably not too happy with how things are going right now. Right. Wolves disappointed as well, but also enjoying their Europa League run. So they have that kind of saving grace, but they're still probably thought they could be doing better given how the league turned out last year. And then Bournemouth are ecstatic. Bournemouth are like, wow, we're doing amazing. This season has been great so far. Yep. So, yeah, the the expectations fluctuate wildly. And the league is more open this year, but it's also not as good. And I think that's Mm -hmm. why we're we're seeing a lot of these equalities and points. You know, the last time Leicester was doing so well was the last time the league as a whole wasn't doing as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. And the only difference right now is just the fact that Liverpool is the one team in the league that is doing very well. I'm sorry, one of two, because let's be honest, Leicester's doing really freaking well. <laughs> yeah. They're a really good team. Um, and that that doesn't even necessarily get into – like the recent run of form that Chelsea's had, which we'll talk more about. But all right, we got to deal with this issue as much as it pains me to do. Uh, But we need to talk about Jose Mourinho, which of course is exactly what Jose Mourinho wants. (laughs) He wants people to be talking about him at all times. Um, He brings in, well, let's just be frank about it. You know what you're going to get out of Jose Mourinho. You know, you're going to get a methodical, oft times boring um, style of play with, uh, you know, some some strong like you know number ten play, and then some whatever for most other positions. Yeah. 
Um, and you're going to get probably one pretty decent year, borderline really good. I mean, he's, you know, won a few times. And then you're going to have unrest. You're going to have his ego ruining things. You're going to have players not seeing eye to eye with him and everything within about three, maybe four years tops. Like, is that even worth it? All right. What, what's your take on, I mean, what do we even, what do we do? What do we do with Mourinho? I mean, this would have been a fantastic move 10 years ago. Yeah. Just without <laughs> Pochettino for Mourinho. But uh, it just, given their whole situation, it just seems like a baffling move and it's kind of desperate. I mean, he hasn't worked in the game for a while. His last job didn't go all that well. Mm -mm. And he has a history of disrupting locker rooms, uh, which theirs is already disruptive. He's not really, he's not, he's he's not a peacemaker. peacemaker. No, not at all. He's going to create a bigger divide. And he also spends a lot of money. That's one thing Tottenham do not do. So it's interesting how they even came about, agreeing on him taking over because it just doesn't seem to gel very well at all but we'll see i mean it seems like Mourinho has taken this almost forced sabbatical to reflect on himself and he's been doing some pundit work and making more sense and being a little bit more humble but i'm sure we'll see the switch flip on immediately and he's going to come out and say stuff like well we didn't get a single call all year and that's why that's why we're in this position and everyone hates us and we're the victims so three times I've yeah. won it three times. <laughs> so I mean, it, yeah, it's going to be a wild ride, and I don't, I don't think their fans are too thrilled about it. I wouldn't be if I were a Tottenham fan, but yeah. I, I haven't checked any Tottenham forums or anything like that. I mean, some friends I have that are Spurs fans didn't seem too thrilled about mm-hmm. it. No, but like it's just going to be weird. Yeah, that's the weirdest response is I was trying to do some research earlier today on, you know, kind of how like stylistically people are expecting him to fit with the roster that he's got, blah, blah, blah. And like every article I found or whatever, the comments that would pop up um, would be like from Tottenham fans going, yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Like there just almost seems to be, and again, like we're not digging around on many Tottenham forums or anything, but there almost seems to be kind of this air of like uncertainty about it. Like not too many people getting super excited about it, probably because of the baggage that comes along with it. Um, not too many people getting super down about it probably because of the results that do tend to follow him, at least in, in short bursts. It just mm-hmm. seems to be a whole lot of uncertainty with it. It's weird. It is a it's weird, very weird. It's a weird reaction. What do you think about, you know, his style of play and um, Tottenham's personnel? I mean, do you, it, it kind of seems as though maybe uh, Harry Kane's in luck because Mourinho does tend to like a, 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 a true traditional striker, but like does this mess things up for son who had been just on fire lately? Like, is this going to soothe things over with Erickson? Uh, Cause maybe he'll play more of like a, you know, number 10 role or something with Mourinho. I don't know. Like what's your take on their, their personnel issues? Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about what, how I imagine their players feeling <laughs> because there was a time when players would love to play for Jose Mourinho. Right. But that time has very much come and gone, and I can't imagine those players who maybe partially considered re-signing a contract if nothing Mm -hmm. was going to go their way are feeling about having a guy who is very much an old-school motivator. Right. Uh, I mean, thinking of someone... Can we go ahead and just put on record that how painful it's been today to have to be thinking a lot about this. You just said, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about it. I was sitting down at lunch today with my phone open, just looking at articles on the issue, like trying to read about it and all that. I had a coworker come be like, you reading? And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) They're like, Oh, you must love what you're doing. I was like, yeah, it's wonderful. Sorry. That's great. Yeah. So good. So good. (laughs) It will work in Mourinho's favor that 
Pochettino had instilled a pretty solid work ethic in these players. They run a lot. They're used to pressing. They will do the defensive work. I, I, it'll be interesting to see how he handles Harry Kane because Harry Kane is someone who very much likes to roam around the field and do a lot. And I mean, historically, if you look at his best teams, Mourinho's best center forwards haven't been that type of forward. He's had a lot of people sacrifice themselves to do the work that that forward like Harry Kane would do himself and just leave him up there for scoring. So I, I don't know if he's going to drop Kane into that attacking mid role to help him just do all that work and let someone else run up top. Or is he going to force Kane to stay up and make one of Erickson, Ali or son do all the defensive covering it. He, the tools could be there for him to do his style well, which isn't good for viewers because it won't be very fun to watch. Nope. Not it won't be his older style where it, at times it kind of was fun to watch. It had been done before where he was a good coach, and now it's, it's like the simplest version of what had been serving him so well, and it wasn't entertaining at all, and it didn't really work for him either. So I, he, his biggest task is going to be to get it getting these people and players organized around something because he he does have a lot of holes. There are some weaknesses, and they've had a lot of injuries. They have they've been stuck with Serge Aurier at right back. And, Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted that. Not even Serge Aurier. So I, <laughs> he's got a lot to he's got a lot to deal with. But it, it, there's a chance it might not be really bad. But there's a lot of factors going in the camp of this isn't going to go well. I'm looking up some some quick Jose quotes, which is great. Back in 2014. When he uh, he said something about he goes my conscience is for example to say that you to say to you that I think Baker Brown Solanke if in a few years they are not national team players I should blame myself they're part of a process <laughs> the club started without me now we have players who will be Chelsea players and when they become Chelsea players they will become England players almost for sure and then five and a half years later. He says, there's not one manager in the world that doesn't like to play young players to help young players to develop, not one. The problem is sometimes you get into clubs where the work that is below you is not good enough to produce these players. (laughs) So you got to love when he's already just like throwing people, throwing blame elsewhere. You know, it's just, it's starting off well. Oh, yeah. Starting off well. It'll be weird. You know, it's always weird to have a guy who's, press conferences are more entertaining than his matches. Yeah. Um, you know, step in the league. And I, I almost feel like if maybe Tottenham's just hoping that like, there's kind of, the, there's a marketing mentality um, where like, if you can't come up with a good idea, then you should embrace a bad one because at the very least yeah. it generates buzz, gets people talking, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if, Tottenham has some sort of weird misguided belief that that's what they should be doing. (laughs) They can't come up with a good idea. So maybe they're just fully embracing the one that's at least going to get them a whole lot of attention turned their way. Oh man. It definitely seems like it. It's weird. It's weird. So let's just say, if you look down the line, do you see this working at all in like the short term for the rest of the season? Maybe with Tottenham? I I really don't know, honestly. They left it so late in the international break, which is another weird thing. They left it the week before the match, not at mm-hmm. the beginning of the break. So I it's just it almost it's so hard to predict. something happened in the last week. Like if Potch walked in and like took a dump on like someone's death <laughs> and they were like, we gotta get rid of this guy now, you know? <laughs> like you you made us do this. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. It just seems like oil and water. I I don't see it being a disaster. Right. But I just don't see it being good. No. No. And I see it being very frustrating to hear all of the comments in the press and all that and just become the Mourinho show again because it's yep. just so tiring. It is. It's exhausting because you know, like, most likely he is going to be able to get them back into the top ten Maybe scratching mm-hmm. at fifth to fourth place. Maybe not necessarily this season, um, just in light of everything. But, you know, I don't know if their expectations are really that high for the rest of the season. 
they're maybe yeah. going ahead and getting this done now so that next year they're in a better. <clears throat> but I mean, I don't see him being able to do anything different at Spurs than he was able to do in his last stops. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I don't see that happening. So, I mean, why in the world would we not be looking at, you know, the, the culture is Liverpool's on the rise. City's shaky right now, but maybe with a few more classic city moves, they right the ship and they're good to go next season, something like that. You know, maybe United gels some. Um, I just don't, I don't see this being like, oh, Tottenham's definitely going to be a title contender next season simply because they got Jose. He's, he's not, he's not what the modern game looks for in a successful manager. Yeah. Which is weird to say, a, you know, just a few years removed from when he was a highly successful manager. But, you know, that's just not the direction of the game. The game changes very quickly these days. It just does. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was just thinking it's a testament to how quickly everything is changing in the sport, that he just seems like a relic of a bygone era now. <laughs> you know, five, five years after, when, yeah. when did he win the title at Chelsea? I mean, it was... Oh, yeah, man. I think it was it was five years ago. 2014-15. My goodness. That's wild. Because then you had the Leicester year right after that. Mm-hmm. Chelsea won in 16-17. With Conte. With Conte. So, yeah, that's so interesting. So interesting. Anyway. Hey, you know what? Let's talk about Chelsea. This seems like a great way time to segue <laughs> into into Chelsea right now. Uh, a team that started the season off with a lot of instability, um, underwhelming performances, and now all of a sudden, kind of a you know guided by a, a winning streak, sitting here in third place, actually tied with Leicester on points. Uh, but <laughs> I love this. Liverpool, 34 points, 18, plus 18 goal differential. <laughs> Leicester, 26 points, plus 21 goal differential. Down in fourth, Man City, 25 points, plus 22 goal differential. Chelsea, 26 points, plus 10 goal differential. <laughs> A goal differential of at least uh, 8 to 10 goals less than any other team in the top four. But Chelsea's up there in third place. Um what did they get right recently to kind of uh, piece things together, you think? I, Pulisic coming into the side and being in great form has immensely helped them. It, it seemed very confusing as an American outside looking in that he wasn't playing as much, but uh, it has been vindicated as the right decision to give him some time to observe and adapt and learn more about what he is expected to do it's really paid off, so that's helped. I mean, they're they're getting a lot of young players in good form right now. Um, so, it, it, and it couples with everyone else tripping up and tripping over themselves, so it's been a lot of good things going their way. But relying so much on young players, I can't see it lasting too much longer. Their form will go up and down, and these players will get tired. They're not used to. Not all of them are used to playing full seasons. I mean, some of them have played championship seasons before, and Pulisic has played in the Bundesliga before, but they, I, even the ones in the championship, they're not, they played as much this season, but it's such a higher, it's such a higher level in the premier league that it's surely going to be taxing on them. And when the fixtures start piling up in this festive period that we're approaching, I'd see them starting to slip up and drop more points. And they're, they're not the deepest squad and that will be tested in that period, especially if they start getting injuries. So uh, while things have turned around for them, they started a lot shakier than most expected them to, but they've turned it around. I, I, although I can't see it lasting too much longer going this well. Yeah, that is the big risk. I mean, it seems as though like the biggest, um, one of the biggest things and which exactly you pointed out was the, the performance of the youth on that team, um, not just Pulisic, um, but, you know, uh, look at Abraham, look at like Mason Mount. They've been, you know, more regular contributors as young players. <clears throat> um, 
that have uh, uh, Chelsea was kind of one of those teams that was starting to suffer from the same things that Man City were suffering from a few years ago, where they just all of a sudden got old. Mm-hmm. And this injection of youth just kind of happened at the right time, and it was the right type of players to help them turn things around. Yeah, you're absolutely right, though. The biggest question here is because it's so reliant on the performance of their younger players, how much staying power does it actually have? Um, if you had to guess, do you see them? I mean, how far would you see them dropping if they ended up kind of dipping out of form again? I mean, probably down to fourth. Lucky for them, the teams outside of the top four aren't doing that well. Right. So if they were to not do that well, it would take a lot for the ones behind them to really make up any distance because they also kind of suck. So, yeah, fourth would probably be the lowest, and that's about where they stay. I think they've done most of this without N'Golo Kante, which is big, Mm -hmm. but that's allowed players like Kovacic to step up and play better. That's allowed especially players like Jorginho, who had been often derided as this hipster player and (laughs) couldn't cut it in the Premier League. And I know James Horncastle made the point a lot that he – was kind of the lightning rod for all of the anti-Sari sentiment. And now that Sari is gone and he's still playing that position and there's not as much pressure and he's not kind of the symbol of this weird Italian guy, he's allowed, he's been allowed to thrive and he's done really well and it's, it's not really surprising. So he's been a huge part of their turnaround. Um, so yeah, fourth place, but they've got a lot of players to keep that up until they get tired. Yeah, which, you know, could be next week. I don't know. (laughs) You have so much, when you rely on younger guys, you have so much unpredictability involved there. That's just like, that's just what veterans can give you is consistency. Um, A a completely inconsistent team, but a team that's been doing pretty well regardless um, is... Sheffield somehow in fifth place. <laughs> um, tied right now with Arsenal, only a point uh, above United Wolves and Bournemouth. And then, it, I mean, heck, even two points. I, anywhere between fifth to uh, 15th is a whopping three points apart from each other. That is wild. wild. (laughs) It's so wild. (laughs) So like, you know, in any given weekend, that entire section of 5th through 15th, really, I mean, 16th, you throw West Ham in there, that's that's only four points apart. But anywhere in there, that can change from weekend to weekend, um, which is pretty wild to see, pretty crazy to see. Um, But as you kind of pointed out, that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's on the same level as each other in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, it could very well be that this is one of those years where everyone's kind of performing, maybe underperforming, maybe under their abilities, something along those lines. So you look at Sheffield, draw, win, draw, win, draw. They're just not losing games right now, um, which is helping them out tremendously. You look at a team like Arsenal, who is losing games and who continued, uh, you know, puts continued pressure from the fans, I guess, on Unai Emery. Um <laughs> You know, you you look at, I don't know, you look at all those teams and who could you see making moves in the next couple of weeks to either improve or like, I guess, fall farther down? If you look at that fifth, we'll say fifth through 15th, you know, that that three point stretch there, the stretch that could change very rapidly. (laughs) Uh, Who could you see making good moves or big moves? I mean. Um, I don't think they will make moves because they're already where they're, they are right now. But I mean, I think Sheffield United absolutely deserves to be where they are. They've doubled down on what we talked about in the last state of the league is that they know exactly what they're doing and they have a system that works for the group of players they have. And that makes them way better than the sum of their parts. So they, they've absolutely earned it. I mean, I think we were the only team to beat them at home so far this season. And they're, they're just finding a way to get results. They got really unlucky against Tottenham with the offside call. Uh, we could get to VAR later. I know y'all talked about that last time, but mm-hmm. we may or may have not have time for that. Smash that like button. Let us know if you have time for that. 
in the comments below. Um, but yeah, it, it they these teams will have to have a complete shift of mentality because this break has given them time to realize that there's eight points to separate fourth and fifth. There are two leagues going on right now. There's the top four. Well, there's three, really. There's us, yeah. there's second through fourth, and then there's that group of fifth through 15th, essentially. Yep. And then, well, and then four, then you throw in the relegation people. But yeah, and then you guys say through 20th. But, yeah, it's, it's, it really yeah, so, is a bunch of separate <laughs> leagues. Yeah, and they will realize now they're playing a different ball game. They're competing against a lot of teams that they may not have thought they were competing with at the beginning of the season, and they're not competing anymore with teams they thought they might have been competing with. So it will change the type of pressure that is on these teams. Um, but it, you'll see uh, – I think you'll see teams like Wolves and Bournemouth move up. Uh, I think you'll see Arsenal and Man United kind of – which means they'll go down because the two teams below them are moving up. And then you'll see just, yeah, like 8th through 12th probably change – around just different orders tied on points though so it will be unpredictable but it won't be like a roller coaster mm. it'll be i don't know like splash mountain maybe it's like a kind <laughs> of a roller coaster but there's only one real pitfall at the end yeah most of the time you're just kind of sitting there in a cramped cart with a bunch of animatronic uh rabbits like taunting you and stuff yeah. I think that's a pretty good, pretty good metaphor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Super weird. So who would you think is like uh, looking at all, all across the league? Who's maybe the, the biggest headline in your perspective, at least? Good uh, or bad. It's got to be Either, either good. One. It's got to be Sheffield. They they've continued to be innovative. They've continued to surprise. They have no business being in fifth with the money that the league has spent. But it's it's great to see them up there. They were a really frustrating opponent. They may not be the most exciting. They're certainly interesting. They might not be the most exciting to watch as I've watched more and more of them over the course of the season because they've been getting on TV more. But they are they have to be talked about. They have to be praised everyone involved um disappointments i mean <laughs> I, i'd say one of their promoted counterparts in norwich they had oh such a gosh. huge win over manchester city they put up some good results to start the season and then they got all of our injuries and arsenal's injuries and they have no team and they're just they've just been screwed and they're playing very well but i i task you to find a team who would play well when they're playing their championship backups in the premier league without expecting to do so. All right. I'll, I'll start looking, I guess, uh, for a team. I mean, yeah. if you're, if you're tasking me with this, uh, it seems really weirdly specific, but I guess I'll get on it. I, I expect a report on my desk by 5 PM. <laughs> uh, yeah. Norwich has had a lot of misfortune. Uh, what do we say though about like Southampton and Watford? Those guys have just kind of sucked. <laughs> I I expected less out of them though. Sure, I, kinda, I, get, I yeah. pictured Norwich finishing higher because I think uh, Daniel Fark is a good manager, and I think they did have a solid group of players until all of them broke into tiny, tiny pieces. And Timu Puki. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you got Puki, you got success. That's just those are the rules. And it worked for Finland. Look at them; they made yeah. it to the the Euros. Exactly. But Southampton, I yeah, I thought they'd be doing a little better. They have a good manager. They've got some decent players, but man, they're just awful. They all they the only way they can score is if a keeper hangs on to the ball too long and hits it off of Danny Ings. I think that's been fifty percent of their goals because they <laughs> they scored on us like that. They scored on Spurs like that. That's just how they score goals. Hey man, they've got they've got kind of a trademark. You can't fault them for that. That's that's good, man. They know who they are. And then Watford, you just you don't expect anything from Watford. I think half of us picked them to go down last season, and they, we were just too early. I didn't pick them to go down, but I know some people did, and they were just too early. So full credit to them for being 
soothsayers and seeing the future of how bad they were going to be. <laughs> good, good for them. Good for them. <clears throat> yeah, if we go back to, you know, Sheffield a little bit, I, I, I do think that that's a that's a squad that um, has found a, uh, you know, a lot of newly promoted teams struggle with knowing what their identity is when they arrive. And they try to do because a lot of times the teams that are newly promoted are like able to score at will in the championship, you know. Mm-hmm. And so for whatever reason, they continue playing a we're going to score at will mentality type of, you know, and when they get to the premiership, a clearly much different opposition. <laughs> yeah, much different game. Uh, Sheffield's been crafty this year. You know, they have not resided on. Uh, like their one particular style, one particular uh, you know type of effort or something. They found different ways, and that really is um, something that they uh, that have to be praised for. Um, if I'm looking at my own maybe uh, surprises as well, um, then <laughs> it's it's funny. You look down the list, and it's like you kind of expect to see so many of these teams right where they are in the middle. Like some of the surprises are up top or way down at the bottom Um, outside of Tottenham. And then maybe outside of Everton being all the way in 15th, but again, three points, you know, separate them from 15th all the way up to to fifth, you know? So Mm -hmm. that's kind of different, but I mean, outside of that, it's like, yeah, I mean, Newcastle should probably be there. Palace should probably be there. Yeah, Burnley, Bournemouth, Wolves. I mean, they should probably be where they are. It's very interesting. But then, like, I do have to say, you know, I personally, and we talked about them a bit last week, I'm kind of still surprised at Brighton. Um, I probably should not be, uh, considering, like, they're finally actually getting performances out of all of the players that they purchased over the past couple of seasons <laughs> that lead them to success. Um when they had uh, been bringing in all of these players and then the, <laughs> there's like the same two. It's like, Oh, they signed this new guy. They signed this new guy. Okay. Well, who scored the goals today? Well, Glenn Murray <laughs> and, uh, and uh, Lewis dunk or Shane Duffy got a header off a corner. It's like, okay. Yeah. yeah, sure. Why not? All those new signings, the exact same people doing those things. So it is, it's cool to see them. So I feel like they're one of the surprises in my book. Um, because I, I had picked them to be relegated, and they're definitely not playing like a, a team in danger of that, at least so far. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'd actually say Newcastle is a surprise for me. I thought they oh, were really? going to be terrible when they hired Steve Bruce and had no money and didn't really buy that, any players, right. and the ones they bought got injured immediately. Right. Um, but where they are now, it's not great, but it's a lot higher than I thought they would be. So positive surprise for them. Also surprising for them is a negative surprise is just kind of how bad Miguel Almiron has been for them. We all knew it was coming because that was a terrible place for him to go, but it just has not worked at all. And if anyone out there watched him in MLS, I know the the competition level is not anywhere close, but he was, he was a completely class above and it would have made more sense for him to be doing a lot better. And he probably would be doing a lot better if he was in different circumstances, but it's just been a shame to see how, how badly it's gone for him. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Uh, another team I'm surprised by, I'm surprised that West Ham has gotten any points. <laughs> Considering they're the worst team to ever exist. That one's for you, Andrew Ainsworth. That one's for you. He he's the one who hooked me on the West Ham as the worst team to have ever existed bandwagon. I'm I'm all about it. You're the you're the captain of this ship, Andrew. <laughs> Gold star. Gold star. Well, I guess we got a few uh, quick notes in closing. Uh, one that uh, you brought up in in kind of our planning, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, to to kind of hear your thoughts a little bit more. We talked a lot about obviously. We talked a lot about VAR last week. Um, because it was an integral uh, part of uh, Liverpool's match. But VAR on the season has been a a major topic of discussion, and we haven't maybe necessarily delved deeply into it on the podcast ourselves. You're Um, welcome. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Most likely because literally every other person who watches the league has wanted to talk about VAR all the time. But um, it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky thing, and I'm, I'm just cu- kind of curious, maybe your thoughts on whether uh, you think, um, I, you know, it, it is it working? Is it a work in progress? Um, should we even be messing with it? Like what, what are kind of your thoughts at this still relatively early point in, uh, English premier league VAR usage? I think it's working uh, most of the time. It's not gone well, but (laughs) it is doing its job, but it's also not being used in a way that anyone else in the world who uses VAR uses it. Which is how so exactly why it's not going well. So I, first and foremost, the ref in Stockley Park, where they're watching all the film, that in any other league, that ref is not making any calls whatsoever. That it is a video assistant referee, and what it has become in the Premier League is a video referee, mm. where it is overturning the referee on the field which boils down to the mandate that the referees in the Premier League are told never to go look at the monitor and watch a replay of anything, which is why the official in the booth is making calls because he's saying, I'm watching this again. You should make this call. And he's not, I think you brought it up in the text chain, which was exactly, I thought it was exactly right. Is that the, it's the official, the VAR is not there to make calls. It is there to check on the ref. If the ref made an egregious error, the VAR intervenes and says, you should take a look at that because you might've made an egregious error. And if the ref goes and looks at the replay and says in the context of this game, or I saw this and then looking on this replay, I saw this, then he either overturns his call or upholds his call. And that never happens. We get, and so that is a huge flaw in it and it's not working that way. And no one really knows what's going on because they don't really know how to use it well. The standard of officiating was already low, and they're <laughs> doing they're doing a completely different thing than anyone else. So if you look around at any other league and say, "Well, how's it working over there?" you look at how they're doing it. And be like, I don't recognize what you're doing. Uh, and a, a big problem with it, I think, is and I, I, you don't see this in replays of other leagues, is the kind of the minutia of the offsides where they're taking the the lines right. and they're lining it down to the ground and planning lines upon the field. Like if you watch, if you watch Serie A, if you watch the Bundesliga, especially, I think th- I've often touted the Bundesliga as like the best place where they're using VAR because they're doing a really good job of it. They're not using it for all the tiny calls, the 50, 50 calls. Are you trying to insinuate it- that the Germans are more organized than some other <laughs> people are? Cause that sounds like a ridiculous claim. Uh, no one would have thought it possible, but here we are. <laughs> But you see, when they call offsides calls, they just kind of put a line where they think the end of the last defender is, and then they gray out the part behind him. And if any part of the attacker that can play the ball is in that gray area, they call it offsides. It takes like 10 seconds, and that's all they do. And it came into play, I think it it was the day, it was the same day, I think, no, it was the day before the Liverpool City game with the Bayern Munich Borussia Dortmund game where they uh, uh, they let the play continue on a goal. There was a through ball, and it ended up being a breakaway and a goal for Thomas Muller, I think. Gnabry had run through to the through ball, squared it to Muller for a tap-in for an impact. Then the ref put his flag up to, because they were supposed to let the play continue until it ends and then call offside so that VAR can review it. They went back and reviewed it to see if that offside call was correct and realized that Gnabry was on his own half of the pitch when he was running, which means that offsides is null and void. And that took 10 seconds, and it saves a perfectly good goal, and it worked out, and that's how it should work. It didn't take long. It was the right call, and things were handled smoothly. That is not what we're getting in the Premier League. They're trying to do their own thing. It's surprise, surprise. I think they can handle it better than ever, anyone else and they're just botching it. And who would have thought that a league that didn't have any refs good enough to go to the World Cup is <laughs> doing a good job with officiating? So I, 
I've had this debate a bunch because, like you said, everybody likes to talk about it, and the people who have opinions on it are very strong about them. Yeah. The, the VAR not working in the Premier League is not the technology's fault. It's the implementation's fault. So I, it's not going well, but it's it can get better because they're just doing something completely different than they should be. Yeah, and I, I that's why like, I don't necessarily have a strong opinion about it um, as of yet. And I kind of said last week that that's because I think this is one of those things that's going to take a little bit of time and refinement before I, I really feel comfortable making a, a big judgment on it. But what you just mentioned that I, you know, I had said in the group text or whatever was I was mostly quoting the the NBC broadcasting crew at halftime when they were talking about um, the VAR check at the beginning, um, very early on, <clears throat> of a p- possible um, Trent handball. Uh, was they basically said like the mentality there was supposed to be with VAR is supposed to be that it is assisting the referee. um, And so that they are not looking at what happens on the field. They're looking at what the referee called and evaluating based entirely off of what the referee had called. Um, And so not going out there with a mindset of, okay, let's, Let's come into it with a blank slate. Let's look at it ourselves in slow motion, which makes everything look different. Yeah. Um, and, and then say, oh, yeah, well, okay, this happened like this. So forget whatever the referee said. We're making this call right here. That's kind of how it's, it's supposed – it's not supposed to be like that. That's how we've seen it used every so often. Um, like it feels like half of the time you never know what kind of VAR you're going to get. Um, and when it's, when it's used correctly is when they go into it with a mindset of, okay, let's look at what the referee had called, um, and just take a, and evaluate whether or not like, you know, they made an obvious officiating error. Um, right. And yeah. So I think, you know, it, it was not necessarily to write a wrong call. It's supposed to be. You know, let's evaluate what the referee has done um, in this in this particular instance. And so it was a proper usage um, in the Liverpool match, which is so interesting. It was a proper usage on what was probably a wrong call. (laughs) Um, But to interject one more thing before you continue, sorry, because you mentioning the NBC sports commentators, they also said something that I thought was pretty true is that the fact that they couldn't agree on if it was a handball or not right that, that VAR shouldn't have stepped in because it's only there for stuff that is clear and obviously wrong yeah and they weren't even con- considering the bernardo handball in that instance they were just looking at nope. it hitting trent um and if you couldn't decide unanimously that that was a wrong call then VAR was right not to step in and i'm pretty sure right. michael oliver basically said that and as well yep. as the bernardo handball sorry to interrupt no, it's all good. Uh, that's important because that it shows why it was a proper usage of uh, VAR. Maybe not a correct call all in all. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. But it was a proper usage, um, which is what's so interesting to me about it in that you can use the system properly and it still not be like a flawless system. Right. You know, there's still some sort of human element. Which is kind of what it was designed to do. It was designed to keep that human element in play and only step in when someone does something really stupid. Yep, exactly. So it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Um, And, you know, honestly, I I try not to have, in most instances, honestly try not to keep strong opinions about a lot of things. Um, Because I find it more interesting to, like, just kind of, you know, evaluate it as it goes and and see, mm-hmm. you know, in these moments how, how it is instead of just like reacting to it. So I'm really super curious what VAR at the end of the season is going to look like, even compared to the beginning of the season. Because I get the feeling it's going to be completely different. <laughs> well, there were some there were some changes teased. I think it was in the Telegraph. Uh, they had kind of gotten access to the the meeting notes of when the Premier League officials and like club officials met about like the current state of VAR and how it was going. And they had kind of a list of of proposed changes that may or may not take place. 
and it was stuff like coaches can challenge or mm -hmm. there's you can be limited in the number of, of times that it's used but nowhere in there or very low on the priority list was well let's just do it like everyone else who's kind of gotten it right at this point because where's the fun it. in that where's the fun in <laughs> that and like don't get me wrong it wasn't perfect when it came into these leagues but it has gotten better over time absolutely and that's it's just in part and parcel of implementing something new and adjusting to it um it's gonna be it's just gonna be interesting but yeah you're absolutely right it, it's all still so new to us it's kind of weird that they've done it the way they've done it but yes. it's still new so there's still hopefully time and opportunity for it to to change but do you think that they they went about it like their own way partly because of how many like fans were so resistant to the idea to begin with that maybe they thought, Oh, well let's, instead of like obviously copying uh, the Bundesliga or something, let's try to do it in a, in a, in a more British way. I don't know. That's a, I'm that's not a total, sure. They probably total thought hypothesis. Would be better. Total yeah. speculation. I just came up with off the top of my head. <laughs> they probably thought they could do it better and then didn't really know what they were getting themselves into. And then gave it to someone like Martin Atkinson. And we're like, he'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, we trust him. Yeesh. Um, all right. Let's round things out here with a quick look ahead at uh, the upcoming Liverpool and freaking Crystal Palace matchup. Um, is there a matchup that you dread more on an annual basis than this one? Because I honestly don't know if I dread any matchup more than this. No, this is the worst. I hate it, especially at Selhurst Park. Right. It's it's ugh, it's just so frustrating, so annoying. Doesn't seem to matter who's in charge of Palace, who lines up on the field for Palace. Uh, doesn't seem to matter at all. This is just a cursed matchup, um, and something that we have to deal with at all times. So, uh, Palace in twelfth place, one of those teams, those plethora of teams. It, with 15 points. Uh, so far this season have not been a great defensive uh, squad. They've got a negative goal differential. Um, they've lost five matches. Uh, their recent form, their last five matches, uh, they've lost three of those. Drawn one, only they won their most recent one, but uh, three losses and a draw in their last five. So not a great run of form either. But you could pretty much gather all of that, positive or negative, and just throw it out the window when it comes to yeah. Palace and Liverpool. Yep. You just can't. Yep. So Palace this season, I mean, what are they like, Alex? They're exactly like they have been since Roy Hodgson took over. They will sit in two banks of four and try to hit us on the counter with a lot of speed, especially through Wilfred Zaha, who will probably win a penalty. Wonderful. I'm so glad this is like the most predictable match too. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that being said, then it is, uh, it, it's, it's obligatory now that we go ahead and we give crystal palace a good old look-see for kits and giggles. I'm going to take a look at their 2019, 2020, uh, home, away alternate their kits and everything um, and, and kind of evaluated a bit. Now palace is one of those teams that I feel like doesn't necessarily change dramatically most of the time. Like they've kind of had the, uh, the, the red and blue um, vertical stripes as like, you know, a thing for a long time. Then comes this year and they've got this like black with the red and blue uh, stripey lightning bolt looking designs. Uh, is that the? I think that's the away kit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's the away kit this year. Um, it's kind of difficult to find a listing of all of their kits online in one place. That's kind of bizarre. Uh, yeah, I'm noticing that. Kind of a dis disorganized club in that regard. <laughs> um, but I mean, I don't know it. First of all, let's just talk about the 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 bright red, bright blue in English soccer is such an interesting color combination because it seems like if you are in England, you are either blue 
red or you're some sort of like what is it claret claret and blue claret blue yeah. and, you know you're that which is always bizarre so uh it's it's unique when you see one of these teams and it's almost always like league one league two squads that have the bright red and blue color combo this is the only big team that has it I, uh, what's your take on palaces just overall look here I really like them. Mm-hmm. I like that they ditched the yellow accents that they usually have oh, for white. God, yeah. I think it makes the stripes and just the kit in general look a whole lot better. Um, I really like the away kit too mm-hmm. because from a distance, and I think this is exactly what they were going for, it looks almost like that Microsoft 95 screensaver with like the little lines in the shape that would bounce back and forth. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it's supposed to be a bunch of little lines with a wave pattern in it, but it's actually a bunch of like thick gashes in the stripes so i think that's a a clever optical illusion um so i'm gonna give these a lit kit i think the especially the red blue one i think it looks really classy interesting interesting i uh i would have been a bigger fan of them um if they had gone with the old uh, windows 95 flying through space (laughs) as their template (laughs) (laughs) um yes the the yellow trim was hideous um, putting oh. the white and not even that, but also the fact that I know you're a fan of this, but the red and blue stripes go all the way up to the collar. It goes without saying, yeah, that's my favorite part of the kit. But not only do they already go all the way up to the collar, they go on the collar too. Yeah. Like the <laughs> collar is part of the stripes. I might have to get one, honestly. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of <laughs> clean yeah i'm a big fan of the way that one's looking this year and again they kind of keep the the general overall pattern of that year to year they very rarely change it dramatically i'm a big fan of that one um the away kit i don't know if i'm feeling the stripes that much and i'll be honest with you i don't even know if i'm feeling the 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 overall look of it um mm. the the one red one blue like u.s national team uh yeah. color pattern there i, I was it wasn't my favorite u.s jersey it's not my favorite palace kit either but i also was thinking about this today i i'm starting to think that maybe my love of black kits is starting to fade what yeah how dare you i don't know i was looking at some nba jerseys that like just got like limited run nba jerseys just got announced and stuff and they just weren't there are some black kits on there or in there that just weren't, I wasn't feeling it either. I'm starting to wonder if my love of black kits is fading or could just be that a lot of people are uh, putting out bad black kits and jerseys right now. <laughs> Who knows? So I don't know. I'm not feeling that one. I like the home. Don't like the away much. So it combines into a, uh, a meh kit. Isn't that right? Yes. <laughs> I kind of, yeah. Forgot for a second what how, what our rating scale was. <laughs> Whoops. So it's gonna it's gonna combine for me, and meet right in the middle. Right in the middle. All right. Guess it's time for a little scoreline prediction, and then we ride off into the sunset. Alex, how do you think this match is gonna go? Uh, it's gonna go like every match that we've played <laughs> against Crystal Palace for the past like ten years. We're so painfully. Yeah. It's gonna be Wayne Hennessy's greatest game <laughs> in his career. Right. It's going to be really nerve-wracking. It's going to be a lot of pit sweats. It's going to be a lot of stuff thrown. It's We're going to win 2-1. Uh, and in light of our discussion, I think all three goals are VAR penalties. Of course. Why wouldn't they be? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love it. Throwing out the classic 2-1 YNTA uh, scoreline there. Um I think that the fact that they are a that they try to always be a counterattacking team would traditionally, um, traditionally would normally this season actually play into our favor pretty well because we've kind of learned how to deal with that. We've kind of learned how to deal with parking the bus teams. But this is the Palace match. You just ignore all yeah. conventional logic um, and just know that it's going to be painful. Um, so I think it'll be. A, uh, a 2-1 victory as well. Uh, where I'm going to disagree with you is I think it's going to be a real painful um, 1-1 like draw for most of the match and then a late goal will seal the victory. 
Divakarigi. Divakarigi. This is going to be another Divakarigi signature <laughs> match. So you could you could bank on that one. That's where that's where my prediction's going. So there you go. And there we go. Wrapping up this second edition of State of the League here on You'll Never Talk Alone with just a little little sprinkle of Liverpool discussion there. Of the OG. Of the OG. I love it. I love it. Alex, I appreciate it. Thanks for being here. <laughs> thanks, thanks. For- glad you could join us tonight, Joseph. Yeah, man, it was great. I'm glad it worked out with my schedule. <laughs> Are you going to sign us off now? I just figured you'd go ahead and wrap up the episode. Take it off. Oh, no, I was waiting for Andrew. Yeah, where is Andrew? Thanks for listening to YNTA. Andrew, go ahead and sign us off. <laughs>